laws. Don't we just love them? As a nation, I think it's fair to say we love our crime dramas, like Agatha Christie's books, the whodunits. Without a law, there would be no crime. Then there are the rules and regulations, instructions on how it's done, what to do, when and how, ceremony, pomp and circumstance, order, regimentation. And we've seen a lot of this in the last few weeks with the Queen's Jubilee celebrations. For example, Trooping of the Colour, with everybody following instructions, walking in line and in tune, and all the musicians playing their parts at the correct time. Then there are rules like no smoking, no swearing, no running, no punching, spitting or gouging. And that's just the cue for the bingo. Then there's keep off the grass, no ball games, no parking, no unloading, no right turn. The list goes on. It's almost endless. And then we still have a council and a parliament that sit around and add more and more rules and regulations into our lives as if we didn't have enough already. But rules can also bring division. Division between those who follow the rules and those who don't. Division between those who know what the rules are and those who don't. And knowledge of the rules brings power and authority. Like, you can't do that because it's against the regulations, barked out in some official voice. But which regulation are they talking about? Do they even know what they're shouting about? So what would it be like if there were no rules, no restrictions, no taxes, no prohibitions, no warnings of danger, and no help to stop us from hurting ourselves or others? If we didn't have any rules, I think we'd probably end up making a few. Well, at first glance, the Bible contains quite a lot about rules and laws. And the Old Testament is, in a sense, full of them. God's rules and laws laid down to be followed by the children of Israel. Well, what would most people say about what is in the Old Testament? I think perhaps something about laws or rules or the Ten Commandments. A picture of God laying down the law and sitting up there, remote in judgment, waiting for us to break the law. In part it's correct. God did give us laws and rules to follow, and he does sit in judgment at the end of time. However, there's more than just rules in the Bible. If we look beyond the rules, we also see that the Bible is about God's interaction with humanity. And even in the Old Testament, there are glimpses of God's plan of salvation through his son, Jesus. The Bible is also about God's love and faithfulness to us. God reveals himself to us so that we can get to know him. We have to learn about him and to do this, God has revealed himself to us through our observations of the world around us, his prompting of our hearts and minds by his spirit through what we see, smell and feel, 
the draw of nature and the feeling and thought that there must be more to life than what we can see, touch or hear. Also, we can learn about him through his revelation to us through the Bible and through the people he chose to reveal himself to in times gone by. For example, Adam, Noah, Terah, and Terah's son, Abram, who later changed his name to Abraham. Uh, this is a written record of God's interaction with humanity, an interaction in words and in the action and history of an entire nation. So our first reading looks at Abraham, chosen by God and who responded to God. So the first readings are from Genesis chapter 12 and 13. call of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's covenant with Abraham. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elijah of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and to take possession of it. Now these passages cover events well before the Exodus and are about God's promise to Abram. The Lord chose to speak to Abram 
who listened and did as God had instructed him. He set out in faith from his home in Haran and went to a place that he didn't know, a place that God would show him. It's not an easy undertaking. Now, apart from those of you who are very, very physically challenged when it comes to reading maps, how often do you actually set out on a journey without any idea on where you're going? Well, that's what Abram did. He left home with his whole family, everything he owned. He wasn't just going on holiday. He packed up everything, including his livestock and his servants and everybody. Everything he owned, he went off not knowing where he was going. But he trusted God and God promised him a land and descendants. In the reading we hear that God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to others. Some years later, Abram changed his name to Abraham. But the promise remained and it's a promise later referred to in the Bible as the Abrahamic promise or just the promise. It was not a written legal agreement or covenant, but a promise by God to bless Abraham. And we read that this was accounted as faith and it was accorded to Abraham as righteousness, puts Abraham right in God's eyes through faith. And it's several hundred years later that we get to the Exodus where the law is given, where it's written down. And the law is much later than the promise. And the law is helping us to understand who God is and what sort of things he likes and dislikes. And without the law defining what sin is, there isn't actually sin because we can't say that's right or wrong. It's, it's the line in the sand that says this is acceptable and this is not. But Abraham set out before those rules were dictated and, and set down and, and added to over the years. Abraham set out in faith and that was enough for God to say you are clean and right in my eyes because you believe and trust in God's promise. Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29. Children of God. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise.
a typical reading from Paul wrapped on itself sometimes seen as complicated but that's a let's have a look at it in today's reading from Galatians Paul starts by before the coming of this faith which faith did he mean and the faith that Paul is referring to is faith in Jesus Christ before Jesus came the way to come to God was by following the law the commandments and instructions of the Old Testament and this is what the, the Jewish nation has been doing for hundreds of years the people of God had the law to show them what God was like and how they should live and what God means by right and wrong good and evil it's defined in terms we can understand and which were worked out in the way the Israelites lived so it was clear for all to see there's no excuse like we didn't know what God meant or nobody told me the law tells us what to do and points out where we go wrong. Following the rules on their own is not enough to make you right in God's eyes. For the sacrifices to be effective and acceptable to God, they had to be accompanied by faith in God. The people offering the sacrifices had to believe and trust in God as well as carrying out the instructions to the letter. Just doing it without faith counts for nothing. So why was Paul writing about this topic? In the Galatian church to which he wrote this letter, there were Christians who were Jews and they'd been brought up under the law. And now they'd been joined by Gentile Christians who knew very little about the law. The law was theirs. It was God's instructions to them on how they could live holy and good lives in God's eyes. And that's, that's, that's the background the Jewish Christians came with. And these Jewish Christians felt that they must still follow some of the instructions laid down in the law in order to honest and please God, even though they now believed in Jesus. And they begin to insist within the church that the Gentiles should follow some parts of the law. So where did the Gentiles stand in these arguments? And Paul writes to show that faith has superseded law. Jesus came to show us more clearly what God is like in words and through his life. A life lived in full accordance with the law. He never broke the law. He, he followed it. And something that nobody had previously been capable of doing. He promised to give life to all who came to him. Jesus promised life to all who believed in him. If we remember Jesus' words to Mary at the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Paul goes on to consider the effect of faith in Jesus as we move from living under the instructions of the law to begin to live a life based on faith in Jesus alone under the grace of God. And as I've been saying about living a life based on faith, it's we come to Christ because of that faith 
and because of God's grace. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. The song is goes on and says, not by our human endeavour, but by the blood of the Lamb. This is uh, about the topic we're looking at this morning. The human endeavour would be following the law. By the blood of the Lamb is faith in Jesus Christ. His atoning death and sacrifice for our sins and the forgiveness that we receive. We come and stand before the presence of God cleaned because of faith in Jesus, in what he has done, not because of what we have done. We are all born inheriting the effects of Adam. We're all human beings, we're all descendants of Adam. We begin in Adam and through his fall we are dead to God. We're not spiritually alive. We will physically die. We are beginning life unaware of God. God's Spirit works on us as we grow up and we might or might not respond to the Spirit. We may become spiritually aware. When we read the law, read the Bible, or hear about Jesus, hear his gospel, the Spirit will speak to us, but we might not respond. If we do respond, then we can move from death to life. Next slide, please. When we respond to God's good news of the coming of his kingdom in Jesus Christ, when we believe and trust in Jesus, and when we have faith in God through the work of Jesus, we move from death to life. In John 14 it says, This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides in you, and he will be in you. The spirit touches our lives, and when we listen and hear his voice and respond to him, we move from death to life. When we believe in the Holy Spirit, when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us and we're given eternal life to live as children of God. The law has been fulfilled in Christ and we become part of God's family. And Paul makes it clearer a little bit earlier in Galatians, he said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard? In effect, did you receive the Holy Spirit within you by following the letter of the law or did you receive the Holy Spirit when you heard about God's salvation plan in the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, the answer, of course, is when they believed and not because of the way they lived their lives or what they did or which rules they followed. After we believe, we are baptized to acknowledge our change from being in Adam to being in Christ. 
Baptism symbolizes our change in status. The cleansing of sin shown by the washing of water. Receiving the Holy Spirit into all of our being, being immersed in the Spirit, shown by being immersed in the water. Descending into the water like Jesus descended to the dead and rose again. When we rise out of the water of baptism, it symbolizes being reborn, born again, emerging to new life. A baptism is symbolic of the spiritual change in status that faith in Jesus brings about. Faith and trust in God's Son, just like Abraham trusted God. We are joined in the spirit realm with Jesus. We are connected. Two further pictures of being connected are described as abiding in the vine and being part of the body. Two symbols and pictures which are, are used in scripture. We are connected to the vine and we're connected in a way we cannot see or necessarily understand. We're connected to Jesus in heaven. We're all different and yet we're all joined. And the phrase is we are in Christ. We're in Christ because we believe. It's not the result of what we eat, our background, uh, what we do, where we come from, where we live. The law is no longer our custodian. We are grown up and in Christ. There's no longer any distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, slave or free, rich or poor, male or female. These differences are not relevant and make no barrier to the Holy Spirit who enters all equally. All believers in Christ right now and wherever they are, are in Christ. In Jesus' life, he fulfilled the demands of the laws and didn't sin. And once he died, the law's claim over us is finished. The law has no claim over his resurrected life. When we believe we're joined to Christ in the here and now, and as Christ has risen from the dead, so too we have joined with him. We too are dead and raised with Christ because we're joined with him. The law has no claim over anyone who is in Christ. Expressed more starkly, we are dead to sin, but we are not immune from our world or from the effects of sin and temptation. Now, I put this up because you can see, sometimes look at the, at the idea of, of being forgiven as not being guilty or getting out of jail. And, and in the game of Monopoly, uh, there's a card, only one card in the pack, which is a get out of jail free card. Uh, you're wrong, you go to jail, uh, uh, but you just played a card and the game carries on and you carry on you know, making money, as it were. For us as Christians, we can still do wrong, but Jesus has already forgiven us. He died for the sin of the world, not, not just one particular sin or one particular type of sin or grade of sin. He died for all the things that all of humanity does wrong. 
and we are forgiven when we turn to him as we are in Christ as Christians when we turn and when we believe we are in Christ we are forgiven and go free and sometimes this is hard to accept because we often feel that we must do something to make amends or to have some sort of punishment um, you know in a sense we have to feel guilty and I have to say that Satan is more than happy to make us feel guilty and unworthy but Jesus's free gift is the gift of forgiveness and restoration of relationship we cannot do anything except accept what Jesus has done on the cross at Calvary the battle is won we are redeemed we are forgiven and we have life in Christ we have Christ's life within us by his spirit but we still have battles in the world to fight so the monopoly card isn't quite right I think I think it actually should be more like this one it's not chance that you'll be forgiven it's certainty it's not that we might be forgiven if we do something and all those little laws sneaking back in to, to tell you where you're going wrong the only thing to do is to turn to Jesus and cast yourself on his mercy and his grace now Paul covers this topic in much more detail in Romans but in Romans 8 he says therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we are set free from the law of sin and death so if we're forgiven can we go about and do anything we like no matter what because God's grace will cover our sins uh, and in a sense controversially the answer is perhaps yes the answer is yes but Paul's answer is no but not for the reason that we can't it's because why would you want to if we are seeking to abide in the vine and remain close to Jesus then the question shouldn't really arise because we we will be transformed by his spirit as we we respond to his love and we seek to be more like him if we go wrong we are forgiven and there is certainty in deciding what to do and how to behave I now have to consider is it pleasing to God yes we still have problems and we can make poor decisions and we may need to say sorry but we have the assurance of forgiveness it's not a license to do anything we like No. 
tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to is adapted from recorded Zoom services held by Teambridge Methodist Circuit Coastal Section. Full videos can be viewed on their YouTube channel. Music is taken from worship audio tracks, all rights reserved. <laughs>